Welcome to Overton Windows, a podcast about the shifting range of quote unquote respectable opinion on political and ethical issues. I am Tamler Summers. I'm a philosopher at the University of Houston, and I'm here with the great author and journalist Robert Wright. Bob, great to be back for another uh, episode. It is. I really enjoyed our first one. I thought it got a pretty good reception. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, a little of the negative feedback I would expect on a controversial topic. But uh, let's see if we can set a whole new standard for negative feedback with this one, maybe. (laughs) I I have a feeling I'm going to get, in particular, negative feedback on this episode. We take turns. We take turns being the target. (laughs) This is your week. Yeah. Do you want to tell us how people can find this episode? If you happen to be watching a preview of this, just kind of the opening fraction, then you should know that the way to... Get a hold of the entire conversation in all its glory is to either uh, become a patron at Tamler's Very Bad Wizards Patreon thing or become a paid subscriber to my newsletter, the non-zero newsletter at Substack. Both of those are acceptable. I mean, obviously, preferably the Very Bad Wizards Patreon. I was just but... about to say how wrong that opinion would be. <laughs> that, that opinion is outside of the Overton window, even as we speak. <laughs> Uh, Well, we'll resolve that after we resolve our differences about UFOs or, as they are now called, UAPs, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Aren't they anomalous? Isn't the A anomalous or is it aerial? Uh, I've seen both, actually. I guess I've most recently seen anomalous. Who knows? I think aerial Uh, would make more sense as a substitute for flying. We'll uh, our, we'll we'll get to the bottom <laughs> of this within weeks and report back to our, to our listeners. So we did Israel Palestine for our first episode. We could have just jumped to Ukraine, and you could have taken the brunt of the ire of our listeners. But I volunteered not to do that. You volunteered yeah. bravely yeah. not to do that. I was very excited. I've been wanting an excuse to dive into some of this stuff um, for a while. Yeah, let me just say a little bit about my very brief history being interested in this topic, which really doesn't start until probably 2017. I mean, I I was never somebody who would dismiss uh, something like this out of hand. I just never really thought about it, period. But then I was at like a holiday party in 2017. and I remember this very well. And one of my friends just said, is anyone going to talk about the fact that there are aliens now? And I was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he was referring to this New York Times piece uh, on the Navy videos and all the other stuff. And we're going to get into that in more depth later on. But that was the first time like I was like, at first I thought he must be making this up. Like, what? I'd never heard anything like this. I'd never. um, And so that led me down a bit of a rabbit hole um, in terms of just trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, the videos uh, we'll talk about later how that was resolved or uh, unresolved at the time, it just seemed like, holy shit, like these videos are out there. They seem to be legitimate and people can't understand this. And so that made me just go down a bit of a rabbit hole. Probably I spent a day or two. And but you know what happens? Like if you do that, you find a lot of crazy bullshit, some deeply unhappy people. But you also find a bunch of stuff even before 2017 that seems like if not compelling, then at the very least worth looking into more. And that just, I I had this question at the time and then kind of dropped it like everybody else because I moved on with my life. But at the time I remember, and I still have this question, 
why aren't people more interested in this, right? Like why, even if the likelihood that there's any kind of truth here is very small, the implications of it are so massive on every level, like political, but like more than political, just ontological, right? We could be talking about different dimensions. And yet 99 times out of 100, if I bring it up, people are just, they don't, just don't care that, you know, some of them, because I hang out with academics are very dismissive, but mostly people are just like, even people who would say, yeah, maybe it's real. They just don't care, you know, and you can't force people to be interested in something. So I kind of let it go too. I couldn't really find anyone to talk to about it. But now you have me. Now I have you, finally. And last thing I'll say, listeners of Very Bad Wizards will know this. I have a personal distaste for the like smug, instinctive skeptic who just casually dismisses anything like this before delving into the details. They just spout things about Occam's razor without even having like an alternate ex explanation for the phenomena that we're talking about or even knowing about the phenomena that we're talking about. So just that distaste, that animus towards that type of person uh, is probably making me a little more open-minded on this. That said, I do think there a kind of informed skepticism is warranted, actually, in this case. And I guess just as a philosopher, I'm interested almost as much as the question of whether there are aliens and they visited us. Are these meta questions, these like epistemological questions about what counts as evidence and how people can process all of the evidence, evaluate the evidence, um, and just how to wrap our heads around the question of what to believe here. So that's my pretty strong interest in the subject. Yeah, I guess mine is kind of like yours. I was never a UFO guy. Um, I never watched the X-Files. Hmm. I noticed that when anybody mentioned Roswell, other people rolled their eyes. Uh, and and I think that's one sign of how the Overton window has changed. There, there was a time when just mentioning Roswell was to kind of stigmatize yourself. Uh, I, like you, I focused a lot more in 2017 after the New York Times piece and video that we'll talk about came out. I also went down a, like a very brief rabbit hole that I find interesting because of what it says about kind of human credence how we decide what is credible and yeah. it was you know i'll talk in a second about david fravor one of these fighter pilots who who has given uh what i think in a ways in a ways the most credible eyewitness testimony to emerged in this whole new round of publicity that began with 2017 although it, his account comes from 2004 and one thing that happened after this new york times piece was there was kind of it kind of began a slow cascade of stuff. Some of it was just people mentioned by the New York Times at that point, finally being interviewed years later. Some of it was the government releasing officially things the New York Times had gotten hold of and so on. Um, but it kind of kept rolling on. And, and honestly, in 2017, I didn't pay that much attention. But in 2020, I guess that was when I actually went down the rabbit hole. I was about to interview a guy from my for my podcast, named Alexander Wendt, a very esteemed political scientist in international relations who had started uh, kind of arguing that there should be a science of UFOs. We should be more systematic about it. There should be things arrayed around the planet to detect them and so on. Right. What shouldn't be a very controversial, certainly not a stigmatizing argument. He had actually done a TEDx talk on this. And one, one notable thing is that TEDx had affixed to his video a 
There are things in here that are not scientifically corroborated, which was actually wrong, because all he was saying was UFOs are UFOs in the sense that we don't know what they are. They're unidentified. We should try to find out. Uh, but but still, there was that degree of sensitivity even in 2020. So anyway, to prepare for that podcast, I listened to the Rogan interview of David Fravor, mm -hmm. and he seemed credible. I still think he is uh, he is credible. He, mm -hmm. he he certainly believes he saw what he saw, and there are some actual kind of corroborating witnesses, as we'll see. But uh, then he and Rogan made favorable reference to a guy named Bob Lazar. And because Fravor, now I wouldn't take Rogan as a guide to who is and is not credible in this or various other realms necessarily, but Fravor seemed to know him and approve of him. So then I, 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 I found Rogan's interview with this guy, Bob Lazar, and he was telling a much more dramatic story that he had once had access to the place where the government keeps the, the UFOs they found, and he's been in one. And he's yeah. seen the little tiny table with the little tiny chairs. See, see, I'm already sinking into this, into the mode, the way of talking about this that was so common 20 or 30 years ago, where sure. you kind of uh, instinctively ridicule the idea. But but the reason I do it is because, first of all, I mean, I was like going, oh, my God, because I was just right. taking him to be credible. And I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole world of evidence that I haven't been right. privy to just because I accepted the <laughs> conventional wisdom. And then I and then I Google this guy Lazar and look at yeah. his Wikipedia entry. And it turns out there are all kinds of reasons to doubt his story, none of which Joe Rogan mentioned, uh, and uh, including that he seems to have misrepresented his academic credentials. There's all kinds of reasons to doubt the guy. What, what was fascinating to me was how down the rabbit hole I was uh, for a second. And I think you know, this is the way things work. It's like, I trust that person. That person trusts this person. I, I think that's a more rational response than what most people were doing post-2017. <laughs> because it would be the biggest thing that you ever discovered in your whole life, right? Totally. All right. Let's put our cards on the table. Gun to your head. Do you believe that some sort of extraterrestrial form of intelligence has visited Earth in the last 100 years? Yes or no? Well, I'll take, uh, do you believe to mean, do you think there's a greater than 50% chance? Yes. And the answer is no, I wouldn't bet even money. There, there are some odds I would probably take, but they're not, they're not that close to 50%. I, I, I guess that's all I, I'll say for now. Maybe we can elaborate later. Um, okay. Well, okay, so the guns to your head. Gun to my head, also probably no. How about two to one? Two to one odds, 33% chance? I might go yes. You know, like so the way I was imagining it is based on whether you say yes or no, like that will uh, determine whether you live or die. Yeah. But then the second question is, how nervous are you when the trigger gets pulled? And I would be very, very nervous. And if you told me it was a two to one. Well, if we're talking a real bullet, I'd be nervous if the chances are one in a hundred. So I'd be nervous because I think I think the chances are that high. I don't know how much higher than that I'd go. I'd be nervous. Well, we'll table this question then. Or would you be? Out. You would be. You would be very nervous, of course. I if guess. you think I'd be yeah. shitting my pants. If you take a uh, two to one bet, and I'd yeah. be like, should I have said yes? I would be second guessing myself while they're loading it. Let's. I, I want to give a brief, just the briefest history. I'm not a ufologist. Um, I am still the ultimate dilettante when it comes to this stuff. But I did do a little prep just to kind of get us up to 2017 about, especially America and our fascination with UFOs, which really starts with Roswell. In July 1947, 
the, uh, there are reports of uh, someone seeing a flying disc, and uh, there's recovery of metallic and rubber degree at, in Roswell, New Mexico. Um, at first, ar the Army says it was some kind of flying disc, but everyone lo loses their mind at that point. So then they release a report, later proved to be a lie, that it was just a weather balloon. Um, so a couple of things happen. First of all, just the whole incident sets off just a wave of people seeing flying discs in the sky of all kinds. And, and this is, uh, you see this in all the flying saucer movies uh, and like TV in the 50s and 60s, some of the cheesy stuff, you know, like the Ed Wood stuff. Between 1947, Roswell, and 1969, there were more than 12,000 UFO sightings reported to this Air Force thing project blue book um and i think everybody no matter what side of this controversy you're on everyone believes that at least like 95 percent of them just have normal explanations you know whether that is just some other kind of thing in the sky that we understand and that is terrestrial or some kind of hallucination on the part of the uh the, the reporter um so even the true believers will accept that at least 95% of these points have natural terrestrial explanations. But, you know, the Americans maintained a fascination with this issue, although I, as from what I understand, the interest in Roswell specifically kind of goes underground in the 50s and 60s, and it's only revived in 1978 when uh, there is this bombshell report um, that the Army's statement that it was just a weather balloon uh, was false. It was a lie. A retired lieutenant colonel named Jesse Martell is interviewed by Stanton Friedman, who is, I, seems like the most prominent and actually kind of respectable UFO researcher in the last century. And a lot of people are very sad that he died uh, before he could witness the congressional hearings um, from a couple of weeks ago. So now they say that it's revealed that the Army lied about it being a, a weather balloon. And now you have this new wave of conspiracy theories about cover-ups uh, of uh, extraterrestrial aircraft and technology. And, of course, all of this is inextricably bound up in Cold War paranoia, but then also not paranoia, just our legitimate mistrust of our own government and uh, our intelligence agencies, then in particular the FBI and the CIA. This is after all the assassinations. And so this is high, like, we don't trust anybody, period. Um, then in 1994, the Air Force publishes a report. They conducted an investigation. And what they said was that the actual crashed object at Roswell, so we're still talking about this, what it actually was was a top-secret nuclear test surveillance balloon from something called Project Mogul, just uh, top-secret, fully classified, but now they're releasing it. And I think that was that when it came to Roswell, at least in the mainstream media. And I think that's like, you know... Th there through 2017, if you want to talk about mainstream media and public opinion, what what do you think the Overton window is on this issue in this period? You know, like I don't even remember the 1978 revelation about what Roswell really was. Now, 
as it happens in 78 and 79, I was doing a number of recreational things that could have prevented me from remembering any number of things. <laughs> that right. was like my junior and senior year in college where you're kind of tuned out anyway. Uh, but and, you might have been doing some things that would make you very, very, very interested in UFOs. <laughs> yes, I guess yes. I was doing the wrong recreational things because I wasn't. Yeah. But um, but I was going to say, I don't remember really much changing Roswell wise until 2017. In other words, I would have still in 2000, 2005, taken Roswell to be reason to roll your eyes if you're like a respectable person. Yeah. And, and I suspect that some of the dynamic you were describing uh, in in changing perception during that period, we're confined to a relatively small community of people very interested in this. I don't know, but I just don't remember the issue coming yeah. up, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it was enough of an issue for the Air Force to even conduct a report. Um, yeah. And but you're right. I think the UFO community has always been relatively small and beleaguered, but persistent and, and enough to get the and, government to respond to things. Maybe it was a an interest group of some energy. Yeah. You know, during this time, you have Carl Sagan, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and you have this let's celebrate science, but also be skeptical. He was probably mm -hmm. the best version of of that position. Um, and the search SETI, the search for extraterrestrial, you know, that was considered totally respectable. And right. I think tons of people would say, sure, probably somewhere out there. Sure. There's there's life. The odds of life would under some assumptions, being out there somewhere so high and the chances of at least some of the, the resulting civilizations, again, making certain assumptions, you know, being so technologically advanced that we should have heard from some of them by now. That's the so-called Fermi paradox. Yeah. You know, even if you ask Michael Shermer, you know, Mr. Skeptic, is there in like intelligent life somewhere in the universe? He'll say yes, probably. Mm -hmm. um, none of that means that they came to Earth, that they can travel to Earth, crash their one of their big circular disks into Roswell, New Mexico. None of that is related to that question. So I guess, yeah, that when we talk about the Overton window, we're not talking about is there life somewhere else in the universe, because there it's very wide. Uh, we're talking about, like, has somebody visited Earth in the last century um, right do you know a lot of people who just say that they have seen a ufo i mean I, I, people have seen things but someone who says they saw it and they're and it's so weird that they think there's a really high chance it's it's extraterrestrial i can't think of anybody offhand maybe i'm associating with the wrong crowd but i can't think of anybody like I, I certainly haven't. I didn't know. I know there's these, these podcasters that I really like called Weird Studies, and one of them had this uh, incredible experience when he was eight years old. Um, J.F. Martell. Um, so he talks about that on his podcast. But then, and other than him, there's nobody I know personally that I think has said they saw a UFO. But in a weird synchronicity, this past weekend, I was uh, meeting some friends out in Colorado and my friend's wife had other friends from college and they in 2001, uh, and this just came out without me prompting it at all. Uh, they, in 2001, they were going back from a wedding on the New Jersey Turnpike and saw this huge disc in the sky 
and were completely freaked out as were mm. all the other these drivers like people were pulled over on the jersey turned really like, staring at this thing and you can find it you can't find very much about it but you can find it if you do 2001 new jersey turnpike hmm. ufo sighting um and that, that's when i moved to new jersey by the way so yeah, i'm not saying there's a connection no. but but i but i've since driven the turnpike many <laughs> times haven't seen anything yeah, we, we never think about all the times you don't see an, a UFO yeah. on, on the Jersey Turnpike. Uh, <laughs> it was never explained. Like, it, it was reported at the time. It was never explained. So so anyway, I said, I posed that same gun-to-your-head question. Do you think that was from, like, uh, our planet or from somewhere else? And they said, I get. I guess Occam's Razor. Maybe this is, a, th- th- there's got to be something. It's probably not that this was an alien visitation. But I do think, you know, I have listened to a bunch of these UFO podcasts where you have believers, and a lot of the people have had personal experiences with this. And I guess your epistemological position at that point should be very different than uh, yours and mine, I would think, depending on the nature of the phenomena that you're witnessing. Uh, Do you agree with that? If what's the conditional if if you've seen something, it may it, it makes sense for you to have a different view than you and I have, depending on like what the nature of it is. Well, that's a, that's a very interesting question, because in theory, it almost shouldn't. And yet everything we know about the way the human mind works tells us that it would. In other Why words, in theory, shouldn't it? I, I because you're agree just, with that because you already know there's a bunch of these kinds of data points out there. You know, there are a lot of sincere people who saw something or other and it was as weird as what you're seeing. And you know, there's thousands of them. And now, you know, there's thousands plus one that shouldn't in theory change your conception of the odds very much. In fact, there's way more than thousands. And so, and yet it inevitably, you know, it very likely would because for one thing, there would be strong emotions associated with the experience and emotions shape beliefs. So emotionally, I think undeniably, like if you witness something, you're going to uh, be more inclined to believe in it. But even philosophically, depending on like, you know, what the experience is like, I guess the nature of the experience, it might be that that is as powerful enough to make you think, oh, as much as I already know that there are people who claim this, I didn't realize when they said that they witnessed something that it was like this. You know what right. I mean? I, yeah. In other words, you kind of implicitly thought that if you had been there, yeah, you would have been able to tell that this was not a trustworthy perception or it might have looked like a trustworthy perception, but it wouldn't have felt like like what you're feeling. Well, that's right what now. I mean about yeah. emotions yeah. shaping belief. Sure. Right. But I'm saying even like legitimately, I, I think people weren't asking these questions, at least. Uh, and, and people weren't covering this topic before 2017 virtually at all you know like you might find some pieces pop up here or there but but in either more peripheral you know outlier uh venues or as more of just a here's a human interest story or something like that not something that is could shake the foundations of everything we believe yeah so then in 2017 the new york times publishes this this thing uh, now, now the piece itself, which was on page A1 of the Physical Times, which doesn't matter much anymore, except in signaling how much prominence the Times is going to give it on the website and, and so on, which matters. But it was on A1, and the headline was Glowing Auras and Black Money, 
in quotes, black money, colon, the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. And then the lead paragraph was, in the 600 billion annual Defense Department budgets, the 22 million spent on the advanced aerospace threat identification program was almost impossible to find. The next paragraph is, which was how the Pentagon wanted it. (laughs) Okay, so that was the opening segment of our conversation, which goes on for nearly another hour. To listen to the whole thing, you can either become a paid subscriber to my non-zero newsletter slash podcast, which is on the Substack platform, or become a patron of Tamler's Very Bad Wizards podcast, which he co-hosts with David Pizarro, and which is on the Patreon platform. Either way, you'll get lots of other bonus content, and either way, you'll be supporting an endeavor that Tamler and I agree is worth supporting. But whether or not you take that plunge, we thank you for listening this far and we encourage you to stay alert for the next episode of Overton Windows.